Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My dear brothers, uh, sisters, um, our dear friends and listeners, uh, now on our journey through the sciences of the Quran, we've reached uh, day 18 or lesson 18. We will begin, inshallah, with a bit of the Quran. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Utlu ma uhiya ilayka minal kitabi wa aqimis salah. إن الصلاة تنهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر ولذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون ولا تجادلوا أهل الكتاب إلا بالتي هي أحسن إلا الذين ظلموا منهم وقولوا آمنا بالذي أنزل إلينا وأنزل إليكم وإلهنا وإلهكم واحد ونحن له مسلمون صدق الله العظيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد so firstly, yesterday we had a deeper discussion regarding the seven ahruf or the seven styles of the Qur'an, the seven modes of the Qur'an, however you want to translate that. And we had the two, uh, as I said, there's various opinions, up to 35 or so different opinions, but the two main ones that you can summarize it into, right, I'll just mention them again because yesterday we spoke about quite a few things just to get us back on track here. There are two main opinions about this, um, you can say, the main ones. Uh, which many ulama today have accepted either one way or the other. So the, the one view which, is, which was promoted by Imam Tabari and he's, mashallah, very confidently, very boldly discussed it in the muqaddimah and the introduction to his tafsir and he's a very influential mufassir. So that's why many, many scholars have actually accepted that Sheikh Nuruddin Etar of current days and a um, number of other scholars that essentially the, the seven ahruf were the seven dialects or seven styles of reading of the different tribes and since there was no longer any need of that eventually people came on to the style of the Quraysh and they just started reading according to the Qurayshi dialect so now there's that they've pretty much most of them have been lost or they've all been lost right right that's that is uh, an opinion that is probably very very widespread many many current day uh, contemporary authors as well who've written ulumul Quran subjects that is what they've taken the other view, which uh, is actually also a very strong view, and I know that from the contemporary scholars, Mufti Taqi Usmani and a number of others, they also really promote that view, right? Which is that these are actually the one and the same thing. So the seven qira'at today that we have, the seven modes of reading that is still, mashallah, very relevant and uh, prevalent and people study them. I've studied them as well uh, to a certain degree and they're taught uh, and so on then these two are very you know these two are uh, really just about the same thing except that initially there was uh, a lot more ways of reading that the prophet had taught but eventually it came down into around these seven different categories or so uh, of styles of reading now uh, saying that they're both the same so today our discussion is going to be on the qiraat right today our discussion is actually on the qiraat on the seven uh, existing ways of reading which are supposed to be according to even the first opinion it's according to the Qurayshi dialect so it all comes under one harf for group one anyway and for group two that represents the seven ahruf 
So everybody's agreed that you can read in these seven particular ways as long as it's been transmitted. So that's the point of convergence here, that everybody did, agrees from both of these opinions, the holders of both of these opinions, they agree that the various ways of reading that we have today, seven, ten, qira'at, etc., they are absolutely allowed. That is the way the Qur'an, the, just the first group would say that that represents the Qurayshi uh, qira'at, whereas the second group would say not necessarily and it represents the seven ahruf. So uh, at least we have an agreement as to what we have today and that's the most important thing because the history of exactly what happened in the early period, there's nothing directly and specifically mentioned about it except that we know that there was seven ahruf. So are they the same as seven qira'at or are they two separate different things? That's where the difference of opinion is but everybody agrees on the seven Ten qiraat, etc. So, let us now just quickly go through and give you an example of how these qiraat, what they look like. I gave you some ex expl uh, examples uh, when I read Surah Al-Fatiha for you uh, using the different styles that I mentioned in Surah Al-Fatiha. But in Surah Al-Fatiha, the maximum, there's not seven different ways of reading any aspect of Surah Al-Fatiha, right? Its maximum is three. Sirat, Sirat, so Saad and Seen and a Zirat. And then Alayhim, Alayhum and Alayhimu. Likewise Maliki and Maliki. Just two ways in that. So I, I don't know if the, I, I can't think of the example of any particular place where there's up to seven different styles. It's generally a combination. That what, that's what happens. That if somebody is reading one variant here, they'll read another variant here. Whereas the second Qadi may read the other variant here and the other variant here. So it's, you know, it's hardly going to be the case where you've got one word that they read seven different ways. There may be very few of those kind of instances. But anyway, I'll just give you, an, from this you'll understand the kind of differences which I found. Those who study the Qiraat, this is what they read. This is the differences they find. The first of the differences is essentially uh, with regards to the nouns, etc. So you've got a noun. So in some qira'at, you're going to, in some recitations, you're going to get the singular word that's used, right? In some, you're going to get the dual word that's used. In some cases, you're going to get the uh, plural used. Uh, in other cases, you're going to get uh, maybe uh, what they call the mubalagha, the exaggerated form that's used. I'll give you a simple example of that. Uh, that's used in the plural as we normally read it. That those who are considerate of their trusts and their covenants. Another version of that is written, read in another qira'a, it's read in the singular. So the difference between amanat and amanatihim. But at the end of the day, the meaning is exactly the same. Because in this context, it'll mean the same thing because the rest of it is plural. So that singular in there will be incorporated in there and it'll still mean the absolutely same. That's why I said that in most of these cases, the meaning is absolutely the same. In some cases, the meaning is different, but they're complementary meanings. None of them are contradictory means. You'll never find in here the uh, two I, uh, you know, two qira'at that have contradictory meanings. Yeah, they may say two different things, but then that just means that they're both part of the Qur'an, right? They're both part of the Qur'an and they're just complementary meanings. Right, the second 
type of difference that you'll find uh, uh, in, in the Qiraat, etc., is regarding more the verbs, the verbs. The first one is more about the nouns. This is more about the verbs. For example, you may get a change from the past to the present or the future. Okay, You may also get uh, from the passive noun to the active noun, like I gave an example yesterday. وَيَوْمَ نَحْشُرُ أَعْدَى اللَّهِ وَيَوْمَ نَحْشُرُ أَعْدَى اللَّهِ The day we will gather the enemies of Allah. Whereas the passive way of reading that is وَيَوْمَ يُحْشَرُ أَعْدَى اللَّهِ So the change will be on يُحْشَرُ and نَحْشُرُ But because of that, the noun after the verb will also change because it's affected by the verb. Um, right. Another example is قَالُوا رَبَّنَا بَاعِدْ بَيْنَ أَسْفَارِنَا they said that our Lord uh, created distance in, in, our, in our journey. So instead of ba'id bayna asfarina, they've read it in rabbuna ba'ada. Ba, uh, ba'ada. Uh, instead of ba'id, it's ba'ada. It's a similar verb, but just in another tense of it. The third type of difference you'll generally find in the qira'at is the actual voweling of it. right? The voweling of it, and that could be for different reasons. Now remember, when any of these changes are taking place, there's a few conditions they have to meet. Number one, they have to uh, align with Arabic language laws, right? So they wouldn't agree with a variant that they must have heard somebody reading that didn't align with grammar laws, right? Because Quran is Arabic, it's pure Arabic. There's no way that you could accept something as Quran that is not Arabic, that is against Arabic law. Right, Arabic grammar law. Number two, it has to be in accordance with the Mus'haf, you know, in the way the Mus'haf is written today. So just remind me, I'll give you one example of that a bit later, right? So Uthman radiallahu anhu had this Mus'haf written in a way that incorporates all the different possibilities, right, of these, uh, of maybe the seven ahruf according to one opinion or the seven kirat according to the other opinion but definitely the seven kirat according to both opinions so for example you know when you've got there's an easy way of changing that's really amanatim that's why you have silent letters right the, the, the alif will just be made into a silent letter in many cases you actually don't have an alif right you actually don't have an alif in fact what I'm going to suggest you do is I want you to take a copy of the Quran Right, whichever style you've got, whether you've got the uh, the subcontinent style or the Medinan style, you will actually see on the first page, Surah Al-Fatiha, you will see that Maliki Yawmiddin, as we all read it, most of us read it as Maliki Yawmiddin, unless you've got some Moroccans there, right? You will see that it's actually written just with a meme, lam, and a kaf, right? Now, I don't know if you guys can see this, but I've just taken the first Quran, the first Musaf I have, and here, you'll see here. You've got Maliki is is read is written with no alif next to it. I don't know if you can see that. Uh, is that showing? Yeah. yeah. That meme it's got a standing fatha. Now, out of the seven uh, imams of Qira'a, four of them read Maliki Yawmiddin. And three of them read Maliki. But the one that we read is Maliki. That's why they've got the standing fatha there. But if, if it was agreed upon that it would be Maliki with an alif, then it would have been written as Meme Alif. Ma. 
leaky. But because there's no agreement in that and they were both are allowed, so that's why it's written Meem Lam Kaf. And to make it Ma, you just add the standing Fatha there, the long Mad. That's all you do, right? So that it, it has to accord with the, re, uh, with the way the Quran is reading, right? With, that's why uh, Salat, Salawat, you know, the way Salat is written in the Quran is written as a Saad, Lam, Waw, Ta. In most cases, the way we read it, the Waw is empty. Sorry, the Waw is silent. But those who read it, Salawat, Salawat, they would easily be able to now read it because the writing, the Waw, allows for it. And when we read it, we, take a, we just say the Waw is, waw is silent. So it's a, Uthman had this written in this amazing way that incorporates all of these qiraat can be allowed. So people can't come up with some random qiraat and say that this is what it is, where it does not fit according to Arabic and it doesn't fit according to this. And number three, which we'll look at in a bit more detail, I don't want to um, spoil it now. Uh, there's one other condition, which is that it must be related and transmitted authentically and in contiguously and with tawatur from the Prophet up to the Sahaba. You know, from the Prophet Anyway, so I told you about two different times. The first one was noun issues, uh, uh, noun differences. Second one was verb differences. The third one, uh, to do with the voweling, right? Uh, which is whether it's on a vowel, uh, whether it's on a verb or a noun. وَلَا يُدَارَّ كَاتِبٌ وَلَا شَهِيدٌ Neither the scribe, neither the witness should be harmed in any way. وَلَا يُدَارَّ can also be written read as وَلَا يُدَارُّ there's two ways of reading that. Likewise, uh, this one you'll know. Dhul arshil majid. Now, how do you read the word majid? Dhul arshil majidu or dhul arshil majidi. Again, it will have a slight difference in meaning, but they're both complementary. The fourth type of difference is where something has been added or something has been removed and omitted. But again, the meaning will be very similar. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى That in another kira is read as وَالذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى Instead of وَمَا خَلَقَ الذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى And that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created as the masculine and feminine, that, that which He created is out, is just وَالذَّكَرَ وَالْأُنثَى and the masculine and the feminine. Again, it's a complementary meaning. There's no, uh, no major change in that. Number five is ordering, change in the order, right? So, فَيَقْتُلُونَ وَيُقْتَلُونَ That's been read in another kiraz, فَيُقْتَلُونَ وَيَقْتَلُونَ Instead of فَيَقْتُلُونَ وَيُقْتَلُونَ It's read as فَيُقْتَلُونَ وَيَقْتَلُونَ Sorry, yes. So, فَيَقْتُلُونَ وَيُقْتَلُونَ Instead of that, it's فَيُقْتَلُونَ وَيَقْتُلُونَ That's what it is, yes. Then there's another one, وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْمَوْتِ بِالْحَقِّ That's been read as وَجَاءَتْ سَكْرَةُ الْحَقِّ بِالْمَوْتِ Slight variation in the meaning as well but complementary. Number seven, an absolute uh, word change, a replacement of another word but very, uh, again, similar meaning. وَانْظُرْ إِلَى الْعِظَامِ كَيْفَ نُنْشِزُهَا ثُمَّ نَكْسُوهَا لَحْمًا Instead of it's been read as nanshuruha, how we spread it. Instead of nunshizuha, it's nanshuruha. Again, very similar, complementary meanings. And number seven is the dialect aspect, right? And you find that a lot. 
for example, the dialect aspect that it takes into consideration the various different Arab dialects. So this is kind of the one point in here that seems to match up with the other side as well. But again, everybody agrees with this. It's like, Hal ataka hadithu Musa has the account of Musa السلام, come to you. Hal ataka hadithu Musa. That's been read as, Hal ataka hadithu Musa. So one is, as the normal reading is, Hal ataka hadithu Musa. Now change that to, Hal ataka hadithu Musa. So it's a and a. And then there's a third way, which is significantly different, which is called Imala Kubra, which is an absolute inclination. Hal ataka hadithu Musa. And you'll, you'll hear the Warsh people reading that. Hal ataka hadithu Musa. Even, you know, when in the, in the lectures and they're quoting a verse of the Qur'an, that's exactly what they'll read. So, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, so, different styles of reading. And so, that should give you a better idea now of that. So, what we do now is let's move into the Qira'at and understand that better. Inshallah, we can discuss that today. And complete it, otherwise we'll have to move it on to tomorrow again. The word qira'a, I explained to you with ahruf, the word qira'a um, comes from the concept of qara'a, which we described earlier from Qur'an. It means to gather uh, and, and now to read. So qira'a means that which is, you know, the, the concept of reading, to read essentially. Um, however, what's important for us is to understand its technical definition. And the technical definition of qira'a in line with the science of qira'a is Al-qira'at ilmun bi kayfiyyati ada'i kalimati al-Qur'ani wa ikhtilafiha bi'azwin naqila. There's various ways that this definition has been mentioned. Pretty much means the same thing. That the qira'at are the science of the various different modes of pronouncing the wording of the Qur'an and their differences based on the, uh, you can say, based on transmission, right? As transmitted through authentic sources. So the Qira'at is the science, the Ilmul Qira'at is the science of the various different modes of pronunciating, uh, pronunciating, vocalizing, articulating the various different words of the Qur'an and the differences between them uh, as transmitted, right? As authentically transmitted. La ilaha illallah. So, uh, based on the kalimatul Qur'an, it means every single word of the Qur'an, right? But again, there's some words which are agreed upon. There's no difference about it, right? For example, the word Allah, there's going to be no difference about that. But... Um, Pretty much every verse in the Quran, how that should be read in a particular qira'ah. In fact, it doesn't just incorporate the wording in that, it also incorporates where you should stop and whether there should be a pause like a sakta. For example, iwaja There's a slight pause there, right? Uh, a sakta, you see them in the Quran, which is a slight pause, you don't break your breath but you just stop your sound. So all of that is part of the qira'at as well, right? So in some, um, uh, in some qira'at, they actually do that more often than what we're used to. They do that uh, 
in many, many cases. Like Al-Ana, they will actually stop and break the sound and then it'll carry on. So everywhere there's a Hamza after the Lam Sukun, Neely, right? So that's in another Qira'ah. Now, what's really important in here is that this is not random. So that last point in the definition, which was that as long as it is transmitted, is that this science is only known through, you know, more than so many other I mean, mo uh, uh, for example, um, the ways of reading, this is not something you can work out by logic, meaning you could probably use logic to, to, to try to create new ways of reading, but they're going to be completely disregarded and rejected and denied. When it, so when it comes to Ilm al-Qirat, it's probably the strictest subject in terms of taking from another person. You could read hundreds of books on Qiraat, read all the main books, but you, it would not be accepted if you've not studied it with somebody and learnt mushafahatan, literally learnt face to face, from, uh, you can say, lips to lips, from mouth to mouth. That's how important it is. That otherwise, if it wasn't for that, we'd have hundreds of Qiraat. The fact that we've only got 10 qiraat that just shows you uh, 10 main qiraat, then you've got others, which I'll, you'll understand better when I carry on. That goes to explain how strict they were in determining the only ways of reading this. Now, the muqri, the qari, the muqri is essentially the one, is going to be the title given to the person who's a scholar of qiraat, of this science, right? He's the one who's actually studied it with another teacher, who studied it with another teacher, who went and it carries on up to the Sahaba, and then the Tabi'een, the Sahaba, then the Prophet And he from Jibreel and he from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that's the beauty of this. Uh, my chain that I have uh, goes up to the Prophet In I've got two chains. So one goes up with 30 people, and the other goes up with 31, if I remember correctly. Right, uh, which is both for heads of the Quran and for the Qiraat. So anyway, if somebody studies like one of the main books of the science of Qiraat called At-Taysir or the Shatbiyah or any others, it won't make a difference. Right, you have to study uh, with a teacher because this is such a rigid, very specific, very specific, and very fine-tuned uh, subject that doesn't allow for any kind of doubt or error they have they they stipulated seven, several different conditions in terms of um, you know what qira'at they would accept and for that i explained to you that the qira'a must be according to the laws of arabic number two right it has to conform to the mushaf right the way it's written and i've given you the best example of that is that maliki yawmiddin and maliki yawmiddin okay it has to conform to that and a number that that's why today we're not allowed uh, like for example the word salat in classical arabic is written as sad lam a silent wow and then a small ta now in modern arabic we write it as sad lam alif ta we don't use the silent wow we actually just use the alif if somebody wanted to change all the salat and likewise zakat is written in the same way with a wow, a silent wow, right? If somebody wanted to say, you know, this is maybe causing confusion or whatever, people are asking questions, why there's a wow there, whatever, let me just write it in the modern style, they would not be allowed to do that because there's an agreement that you need to keep writing the Quran according to the way that Uthman wrote it, 
okay, except that he didn't have dots or whatever, that's been added to facilitate. But you can't change the script because the way he has the script uh, originally composed, it allows for all of these qira'ah to be read, right? And in fact, it's a condition that the qira'ah, that whatever you're reading must conform to what's written in and inscribed in the Quran. So if you change it, it's going to be really problem. And the third condition, which is the most important one, is that your chain must be absolutely 100% reliability and authenticated. That's why you can't have any. Now, based on that, what happened is you had, there were many, many Sahaba who took from the Prophet and from the various tribes, etc., right? And they would then read the Quran accordingly, which I described to you yesterday. They would then teach others because they were, the Prophet had said that you need to convey from me even if one verse. So they would convey. Now remember, the Prophet taught different qira'at, different styles. Okay. Now, if we go with that wider aspect of the meaning, which is that the seven qira'at today represent the seven ahruf, then that makes it very easy. And it's, it seems like maybe a more a less less problematic opinion there are uh, objections to both opinions but let's just go with that for now that means slowly slowly if the prophet sallallahu taught a uh, hundred thousand people you know there's going to maybe maybe you know 10 times that number of people that eat you know that people are would have taught so it carried on like that now in some of those there may have been some mistakes that were uh, what do you call it developed you know somebody learned something incorrectly from his teacher Somebody remembered something differently. So now what happened is, there's people in an entire area that were taught by a certain, you know, uh, Sahabi or a certain Tabi'i or a certain successor of the successors. The entire people were reading it. So that is going to spread like that, right? <clears throat> so what they did was, some scholars decided that there's just so many different variants of readings which all conformed, you know, which were all supposed to conform to the Mus'haf Uthmani, which the Mus'haf Uthmani was actually written to do, to unify all the Qira'at, right? And these were all the allowed ones that were uh, written. Everybody knew this now. There were some scholars who decided that, you know, we need to compile all of these together and we need to um, make sure that we only take those that, we can, uh, that can demonstrate absolute proof and can meet the three conditions, right? So now what happened is, you had a person whose name was Imam Ahmed, Ibn Musa, Ibn al-Abbas, but more well known as Ibn Mujahid. I kind of alluded to him yesterday as well, who died in 324 Hijri. He really set out to put all of these together so he probably traveled to different areas or whatever it was and whatever he, whatever he learned of the different forms of reading and he compiled them together in his book called Al-Qira'atu Sabr. He managed to find seven different Qira'at like that. Right? That's the number he found. Okay? That's the different variants that he found. So he put them in a book called Al-Qira'atu Sabr. The seven Qira'at. And mashallah, because it was one of the pioneering works of this subject, it just, mashallah, took off. Everybody started to consult it, to study it, study it with him, and so on and so forth. Now, what he did was that he based uh, his uh, study uh, and uh, he, he based it, obviously, on all of those conditions. He 
managed to scrutinize all the qira'at that he found in the different areas, different people reading, according to those criteria, and he determined that there were seven which were absolutely authentic, flawless. We can definitely vouch that these must have been from the Prophet And again, the differences between them, I've just explained to you already the types of differences, that most of the time there's no meaning difference. And if there is, then they're both uh, considered to be Quran because they're both complementary. You're never going to have within a seven qirat any time where there's a contradiction between them, where one is saying, do this, and the other is saying, don't do that. That's just not going to happen. So all of these are Quran, right? You, if there is a complementary meanings and two separate wording to explain two separate meanings, and say they're both Quran. That's what the Prophet ﷺ taught this and taught that, okay? So the seven that he found to be the most reliable and authenticated and absolutely proven and that fulfill all the criteria were the following seven, okay? They were the qira'at of Abdullah ibn Kathir al-Dari al-Makki. So he's from Makkah Mukarramah who died in 120 Hijri. He's a tabi'i. Then number two, Abdullah ibn Amir al-Yahsubi al-Shami. Generally referred to as uh, Shami, Abu, uh, uh, ibn Amir. Uh, he died in 118 Hijri. Then the third one he found was Asim ibn Abi Nujud al-Asadi al-Kufi. So this is Asim al-Kufi, rahimahullah. This is probably the most qira, uh, popular qira in the world today. Okay, This is the most popular qira in the world today. He died in 127. He was from Kufa. Many of them were from Kufa actually. Right. Then the number four was Abu Amr Zabban ibn al-Ala al-Basri al uh, who died in 154 Hijri. Number five, the famous Hamza ibn Habib al-Zayyat al-Kufi, another Kufan scholar who came after, who was after uh, Asim, uh, rahimahullah. He died in 156 Hijri. Then you had Nafi ibn Abdurrahman, Nafi ibn Abdurrahman ibn Abi Nu'aym al-Madani. So he's from Medina Munawwara. He died in 169 Hijri. And the seventh one that he took was Abu al-Hassan Ali ibn Hamza al-Kisai reason he was called Al-Kisai and Nahwi. So he's the Nahwi, the grammarian as well. reason he's called Kisai, I think he did once Hajj in a, in a sheet, right? So Kisa is a sheet. Uh, he's also Kufi. He died, he, he, so he comes after the other two from Kufa, 189 Hijri. So they took this, uh, he, he found these to be the absolute most and then that just flew that, you know, he'd done a job for everybody, mashallah that uh, obviously people in the different areas kept reading their qira'at. Why are these imams mentioned? How, wh why, why are these imams mentioned then if these qira'at were widespread in different areas? Well, because they were the foremost scholars of qira'at of their time in those particular areas. So that's why it's attributed to them. Otherwise, it, it, they didn't make it up. It's just that they were one of the main transmitters of this. Right? These were big scholars of qira'at and sometimes of grammar and uh, of Arabic language and everything else. They were the foremost person, right, of that particular area who were responsible for maintaining that qira and for transmitting it. That's why they mentioned. Otherwise, obviously, they had teachers. Uh, Ibn Kathir, he's going to have studied with another teacher, another teacher, but they became most prominent. And that was added to Ibn Mujahid's book. And mashallah, that was then became kind of set in stone. I think nobody has any disregard from them. However, the work was not completed because... The absolutely verified qirat were not just were, were not just restricted to these seven. You see, this is what's confused a lot of people that are these the seven ahruf, right? Are these the seven ahruf? So 
That's why no, because there's actually more than seven qirat. So people, uh, there's other scholars who continue to do the work to try to figure out if there were any other authentic, because there were lots of qiraat that people, not lots, but there were others that people were reading, but they wanted to scrutinize. Later on, um, there were three others that were added to this list, right, which makes them ten. And they're all equal. You know, they're all supposed to be equal because they all have, mashallah, the uh, one very valuable aspect, which is that they're all mutawatir which means that they all been transmitted in a widespread fashion. And the additional three that they added were uh, that of Abu Ja'far Yazid ibn al-Qa'qa al-Madani. So that's Abu Ja'far al-Madani who died in 130 Hijri. Number nine, Ya'qub ibn Ishaq al-Hadrami. So he's from Hadramaut, which means in Yemen. He died in 205, so he's the latest of the lot so far. So they generally, uh, generally when you see um, his kirai, it says Ya'qub. And then you have Khalaf ibn Hisham. Right, he's the last of them. Khalaf ibn Hisham is a very interesting uh, reciter, a very interesting uh, teacher of Qirat. He died in 229 Hijri, so he is the latest. So these are the 10 Qiraat which are considered to be authenticated today. But again, remember, this does not mean that we have 10 uh, variants for every single word. So the idea is that if some read Maliki here, they'll read Alayhim, uh, and there could be differences in that. Generally, as I said, the differences you'll actually find is about two or three differences. Ibrahim, Ibrahim, uh, Jabrail, Jabrail, Jibril, etc. There's not that much of a difference that you'll find. And um, some will pick this one here and that one there. Others will say, okay, I'll pick this one here and the other one here. So that's kind of the difference that, uh, you know, that has been transmitted to them. Now, I'm just going to go through um, the... When, you, when the scholars scrutinized the various different modes of reading that were prevalent, the styles of reading that were prevalent you know, in the Muslim world, uh, they, they looked at it being according to the Arabic grammar and so on. Number two, according to the Mus'haf of Uthman an, And number three, that there was an absolute verified chain. If there was a problem with any of these things, it would drop. So there are six categories of this. In terms of the qiraat that were out there, and if you then scrutinize them, just like in hadith studies, you scrutinize them and you say, okay, this hadith is sahih, this hadith is hasan, this hadith is da'if, uh, then you've got even small categories in between hasan li ghayrihi, hasan li intrinsically uh, sahih, and extrinsically sahih, intrinsically sound, extrinsically sound, then you've got the very, very weak, then you've got the fabricated, and so on and so forth. All right? Likewise, in qiraat, you have six categories. The first one is al-mutawatir. The absolutely verified, widespread, uh, continuous narration, huge groups were said to have transmitted this down, that there's absolutely no possibility that this can be a mistake. That's the first category. I mean, there's no doubt about that category. The second category, which is similar to this category, is what they call mashhur. And the only difference here, right, the only difference here is that it has no aberrant readings or any of that, it's very similar to the mutawatir, but it just doesn't have that same widespread abundant number, but it's large enough for it to be considered to be well-known and prolific, but there's still a slight difference, so it, the main difference between those two is the difference in just the abundant number, in that one it's millions or whatever, and in this one it's just less than that, those are the two. The third one are called the ahad, now the ahad is Again, it's sounds sign. Sorry, it sounds fine from a Arabic perspective and from the Mus'haf perspective, etc. But it just doesn't have that kind of widespread uh, acceptance. 
very few people, it doesn't have a widespread acceptance as well, very few people transmitted it. Right? Now that's not good enough. That's not good enough. Right? You see, when it comes to hadith works, a narration like that where there's only a few people who've transmitted from the beginning to the as long as they're all authentic, you're still going to accept that hadith and it will be used for certain aspects. We can use it. In fact, many of our masail are uh, based on some of these narrations. However, when it comes to Qira'ah, they didn't accept these. They were called Ahad. They didn't reject them outright, but they cannot be read as the Qur'an at all. right? And some actually rejected them outright as well. Number four is... Um, actually, no. Um, yeah, they did not consider these to be, uh, to be accepted. Anyway, I'll carry on and I'll explain. Number four is the Shav. Right, the Shav. These are either where the, the, the chain is problematic, right? The person who's transmitting from, there's some problem in there, their uprightness, their integrity is in question, there's a doubt about whether they actually met one another or not, and so on and so forth. And you know, even if it's according to the Arabic language, even if it's according to the grammar, even if it's according to the Mushaf's reading, doesn't make a difference, right? Because the chain is problematic. There's some doubt in there. They call this shav. Shav means aberrant, isolated. One example of that is there's a kira which nobody, you know, which as I said has been considered shav. It's instead of Maliki Yawmiddin, Maliki is a noun, the sovereign of the day of judgment. Malik, the king of the same meaning. Malik and Malik mean same. Malik just means owner. Malik means sovereign. Similar, and uh, sovereign is an owner generally of every uh, of whatever they have anyway. So. Uh, there's a qira'a which is being transmitted in a, with a weak chain, which has read it as a verb. Now, it's according to the writing, because it just says malaka. It's malaka yawmaddin, who will control the day of judgment. So it's a verbal meaning, malaka, who will control the day. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, ar-Rahman rahim malaka yawmaddin. Malaka yawmaddin. Actually, I'm not even allowed to read that, because that's shav, right? They're very particular. You don't want to mess... With, uh, you know, you don't want to cause any confusion, confusion with the Qur'an. The fifth one is the outright reject and fabricated. It's been proven it's fabricated. It's not just problematic. It's not just doubtful. It's actually very problematic. It's fabricated. They just rejected that outright. So what's the sixth one? What else do you have to go with? What else is, what else is left then? Well, the sixth one is actually um, explanatory reading. So... Sometimes some of the Sahaba or the Tabi'een, when they're reading, they may add in a few words as explanation. Not intending them to be the Qur'an, but just as an explanation, clarification. Now, if that has been transmitted down, or whether the Sahaba did it or somebody else did it, again, um, those were just seen as explanations. They cannot be incorporated as a Qur'an reading. For example, وَكَانَ وَرَا You know, in the story of Musa alayhi salam, in Surah Al-Kahf, Allah says, وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ مَلِكٌ يَأْخُذُ كُلَّ سَفِينَةٍ غَصْبًا وَكَانَ وَرَاءَهُمْ مَلِكٌ يَأْخُذُ كُلَّ سَفِينَةٍ غَصْبًا And behind them, remember they uh, got onto that boat or ship with Musa salam. So behind them was a tyrant king who would confiscate and just seize all, uh, you know, vessels. So it just says that. That's all it says in, uh, in the Quran. However, um, in one of these um, explanatory qiraat, it says, يَأْخُذُ كُلَّ سَفِينَةٍ صَالِحَةٍ غَصْبًا 
they would only he would only take all of the nice sound vessels not the debil not the damaged ones now that's clearly not from the quran but that has been transmitted that's beyond the 10 qiraat okay so that's not accepted as well so it's only the first two that have been accepted as qiraat so that you know the 10 qiraat that we just described to you that uh, the ulama have gathered together the seven plus the three they're either going to be mutawatir or mashur they're going to be of the first two categories they're not going to be so there are others which are of the other categories but they've not been uh, allowed and you're not allowed to recite them in the quran in the salat either you're only allowed to read of those first two categories which are represented by the ten qiraat as we uh, know them today so i hope uh, that has given you a decent understanding of the qiraat at least and some understanding of how that corresponds with the seven uh, with the seven ahruf as i said to you again some say these are both the same thing these 10 qiraat they actually represent the seven ahruf the seven various ways of reading right so these are just the different collections of that and the others say that no those are were dialects of language uh, of the various different Arab tribes and these are something to so everybody agrees with these 10 qiraat there's no doubt about that this is agreed upon right it's just whether it is the same as sabat ahruf or not is the question which is not a big deal right um, now remember all of these qiraat these 10 that we're talking about the they have to have a chain right that's very important otherwise today there would have been thousands of qiraat various ways you can read it how you like they would have said but no it's very particular right uh, that it has to be read like that and these uh, shad qiraat right the shad qiraat those which are considered to be isolated even though they, they conform to the laws of the arabic language and so on yeah i think i think i i think i've i've discussed that now all of these 10 qiraat they all contribute to the eloquence none of them you know would cause any kind of problem with the very special incredible style of the quran they all fit within all of that mashallah now in terms of which uh, of the 10 qiraat that we read so uh, each of these 10 qaris they had two main students and sometimes there's actually a difference between the students as well so that's why you have um, imam warsh who has two uh, sorry uh, you have uh, Imam Nafi who has two students, okay, Qalun and Warsh, and they would have a difference in the way they read it. They would have a difference in the way they read as well. So uh, when we say ten, it's kind of broadly speaking. Otherwise, it actually breaks down into further different types of reading as well. But again, they're they're all of those same seven categories of differences that I mentioned earlier. Anyway, okay. Now, in terms of which Kirat is read where, I would say that the majority of the world go according to Asim, Rahimahullah, through his student Hafs, Imam Hafs. He had two students, and this Imam Hafs is one which, for whatever reason, has re literally proliferated around the world. I think it's mainly only in North Africa and West Africa where there's uh, other Kirat that you find. So, for example, in Morocco, you'll find their mushafs are generally written according to Nafi, his qira'ah, not according to the Warsh qira'ah. And I've seen people, when they first see that, they're saying, what's going on here? I think the way they write it is 
the fa is written with a dot underneath. So there's even a different script in the way they write it. So be like, hey, this is a mistake. What kind of Quran is this? I've never seen another Quran. So we're just opening everybody's eyes today that if you do see it, and as long as it's coming from a reputable place, then you know maybe it's just another reading of the Quran. You know, I heard like, hey, this is a mistake. No, brother, this is a different type of mushaf, right, of another reading. So generally in Morocco, you'll find Imam Nafi's Qira'ah. In Tunisia, you'll find Qaloons. Qaloon is actually uh, Imam Nafi's student, right? So Qaloon in Tunisia. And in Algeria, it's Warsh, right? Who's also, you know, uh, a, a, a narrator, a transmitter, uh, the second down after Nafi. And in Somalia, you have Abu Amr al-Basri's uh, transmission there. Abu Amr al-Basri's, otherwise the world over Saudi Arabia, Indian subcontinent, uh, Syria, Jordan, um, many other parts of Africa, uh, Asia, etc. It's all Hafsan Asim. It's all Hafsan Asim. That just became prolific. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted it for whatever reason and that is what it became. So, alhamdulillah, that gives you an understanding of that. Um, there are, uh, believe me, I could spend five to ten hours on the subject of Qira'at and on the subject of uh, the Sab'at Ahruf. And hopefully I've clarified everything. But as I said yesterday as well, if you have questions that linger about something, please uh, email us through zamzamacademy.com and inshallah, we are going to hold a session towards the end which will answer everything. And I would also suggest that those of you who are serious about understanding the Quran, the objections and the historicity and everything like, I'm going to suggest a book, right, which is um, recently been republished by one of the great scholars. Uh, it's written by one of the great scholars of Quran and Hadith historic studies. It's called the history of the Quranic text from revelation to compilation, a comparative study with the Old and the New Testament as well. It's the second edition. It's published by Toras. You can find it on the White Thread website. Inshallah, the, there should be a link there in your comments anyway. So that's a really important book that you should have if you're serious about understanding the historical aspects and objections. And he really shows the proof through the various different manuscripts and so on. We might discuss that a bit more later, inshallah. So Jazakallah khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us all with the Quran. Make us scholars of the Quran. Make us readers of the Quran. Make us practitioners of the Quran. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Jazakallah khair for listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, bless you. And if you're finding this useful, you know, um, uh, as they say, do that like button and subscribe button and forward it on to others. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.